Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to camp out in the last uh, paragraph there, uh, verses 29 through 32. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the the seat in front of you. We live in a culture and we contribute to a culture that downplays means or downplays the process. We're really, by by default, we're an ends justifies the means type uh, type of people. We don't think process is important. And by default, we're also an impatient people. And so if we must submit to the process, if we must submit to the means, uh, we want those means, we want that process to be expedient or at least, uh, at least pragmatic. So let me give you an example of how we downplay the means or neglect the means or even justify means. Driving. And we'll run red lights. We, we ride people too closely, do illegal U-turns because no matter where we're going, we're always late getting there, right? All right, some of you broke about five laws this morning trying to get here for corporate worship on time. You know, the ends justify the means. Process doesn't matter there. Job searching. Career builders, they uh, did a survey in 2015, and they reported that 56% of people lie on their resumes to get the jobs that they want. And the lies usually come in the form of uh, embellishing job skills, embellishing proficiencies. The end, get the job. The means, do whatever you got to do, lie on the resume. College. In one survey, 75% of college students admitted to cheating. And would ask why, many of them gave these following reasons. Competitive pressures, institutional apathy, lack of understanding, or just a lack of interest in general. The end, get a degree, means do whatever it takes. Online dating. eHarmony reported, this is a shocking statistic, 40% of Americans use online dating. I found that fascinating. Uh, But out of that 40%, 53% of them lie on their profiles. And so they lie about, and the, the common things that they lie about, the age, their age, their weight, their height, their job, their income. And so I guess the logic is if I tell them, if I tell her that I'm 6'5 and I look like Clark Kent with the money of Prince William, when we meet face to face, I'll get the girl. Ends justify the means, I guess. I don't know. And then politics, right? We hear the air suck out of the room when I say that, but politics, right? Very few things amplify how pragmatic 
our culture really is more than politics. Many of us vote for candidates not based on their character or not based on their qualifications, but we vote on them based on what we believe it is that they can do for us. And politicians during political season, they'll debase their opponents to a level that is embarrassing and degrading so that they can get the vote to do what's best for the country. So means is downplayed there, and we deceive ourselves to think that the end goal is somehow more important than the process. This morning, what I want to do is I want to I address means. And in our local church, there is a means to how we worship God. I want to address specifically how the Scripture speaks to our corporate worship. Now, I'm concerned about the, the quality and the integrity of our corporate worship, of your corporate worship, of my corporate worship. Biblically speaking, for us as believers, worship, how we worship, is, is critically important. The, 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 that means that the, the, the how, the means, how we worship, is just as important as who we worship, the end goal. Because how we worship demonstrates who it is that we're worshiping. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time in the book of, of Deuteronomy. And, and this section in Deuteronomy, and really the first, uh, especially the first several chapters of Deuteronomy, I find to be uh, highly devotional. And they speak to the quality and the acceptability of our worship. And so this part that I'm going to read uh, this morning, these are instructions that Moses is giving to the Israelites before they go into the promised land, conquer the territories, and live in the promised land. And by the time we get to Deuteronomy chapter 12, we know that Moses isn't going to be allowed to enter into the promised land because of his own sin. Uh, he, he knows that Joshua is now going to be his successor. That's going to be the person that, uh, that leads the Israelites into the promised land. And so before the Israelites do that and before he passes the torch to Joshua and before he dies, Moses gives uh, some specific instructions about how the Israelites are to enter the promised land how they are to conquer the territories within the promised land, and how they're ultimately uh, to live in uh, the promised land. Um, and so, uh, there, there's a lot here that's written to Israel uh, that's specific to Israel about conquering territories, about um, uh, tearing down false places of worship, and how they are specifically to worship. But there's also some enduring spiritual truths that are here as well that we should, as believers today, submit to as we seek to worship the Lord in a way that honors Him. And so this morning, we're going to focus on those spiritual enduring truths that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and that's going to be our foundation text. We're going to talk about corporate worship, and I'm going to bring in some New Testament passages that speak to how it is that we're to worship God corporately. And certainly, we're going to We'll work through some of our, um, our private worship as well, but my main focus will be on corporate worship. And so let's read Deuteronomy chapter 12. I'll pray, and then we will begin to kind of wade through this text together. The Word of the Lord says this, 
When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they've been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire, you can underline that word inquire, about their God saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I may also do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they've done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we, uh, we're so prone to have short attention spans, God, to, to lose our concentration. And God, I pray that as we wade through this text this morning, God, that you would help us to persevere, God. Grant us humility. And Lord, I pray that we would apply the things that we clearly see in your word. And we'll be doers of the word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing, if you're taking notes, we need to uh, pay attention to is that complete devotion to the Lord is assumed and expected because believers belong to him. Complete devotion to the Lord is assumed and expected because believers belong to him. Devotion is the prerequisite before these instructions here in Deuteronomy 12. And we see the phrase, Lord your God, or in the Hebrew, Yahweh your God. Right? It's repeated twice in just these three verses, and that's a common expression that we see laced all throughout the Old Testament. Moses, he's speaking to God's people, and he's intentional about, about making that clear. This morning, if you call yourself a believer, you are God's people. You are God's people. And in this passage, Moses is also reminding the Israelites that they're God's possession. If you're a Christ follower, you are God's possession. The Apostle Paul, he reminds New Testament believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he tells them to flee from sexual sin. He says, or, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And as believers, we we shouldn't forget the price. Right? What, what is the price? The price is this, because, because by nature we're enemies of God. We're in opposition to God because we're sinful and we're broken, and that's the only thing that we're capable of. And, and because God is holy, Christ Jesus lays down his life. He's, he's truly God and he's truly man, and he lays down his life willingly to appease God the Father's wrath for sin. And this was necessary because not only is God holy, but God's just. And that's what his justice required. And, and after Jesus atoned for sin through his life and through his death, and he was buried, and then on the third day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was bodily and eternally resurrected from the grave, we get Christ's righteousness. As believers, we have the righteousness of Jesus for free. For free. 
When we turn to Christ, we forsake sin, and we stand before God justified, solely based on the works of Christ Jesus. So we're reconciled to God. Christians know this. Right? Christians know that we belong to God. And if you don't belong to God this morning, today's the day of salvation. Right? Tomorrow, yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not promised. Today is the day to trust Jesus, forsake sin, and become a part of the family. Now, even as believers, even though we belong to God, at times we forget that. And the, and, and the Lord knows this. He knows that we're feeble. He knows that, that we're simple-minded. He knows that our knees get wobbly. He knows that we're prone to, to wander. And I know it, says, it sounds like I'm saying wonder, but I'm really saying wander, not wonder. We're prone to wander with an A, not an O. Our believers are prone to adopt false worldviews and false gods. We're prone to adopt false worldviews and false gods. The, the, the Lord, he gives these instructions to, to Moses here in Deuteronomy 12 so that the Israelites can watch themselves. And I'll, and I'll talk about this spiritual discipline of watching yourself toward the end of the sermon here this morning. But this is what he says, verse 30. He says, take care that you, God's people, those of you who are possessed by God, be not ensnared to follow them, pagan worshipers, the broader culture, those who aren't in Christ, after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire, there's that word, inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? Moses, he's concerned that when the Israelites take possession of the land that the Lord has for them, that they're going to begin to adopt the worldviews and the customs and the practices and the gods of the people that he's commanded them to conquer. At the beginning of this chapter, the the Lord uh, commands the Israelites through Moses on entering the promised land in a certain way. This is the way that they were to enter the promised land. It says this, These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills. That's where they thought they could be close to their gods there. Under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. And you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So the Israelites, they were to enter the promised land on behalf of their king, Yahweh. And they were, according to this passage, they were to destroy They were to dash to pieces. They were to burn. They were to chop down. And and, and not only that, but they were to to refrain from adopting the, the means that the pagans used to worship their gods in their worship to Yahweh. And so not, so not only were they called not to worship false gods, but Moses is saying, you don't worship Yahweh the way pagans worship their gods. 
Does that make sense? So how did God's people do? Did they obey or did they conform to the way of the nations? Psalm 106 gives us some commentary as the psalmist looks back on Israel's history and and he he recounts what happened at this specific point of time. He said, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. And get this, I don't want us to miss the gravity of this. The Israelites, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and he abhorred his heritage, and he gave them into the hands of the nation so that those who hated them ruled over them. That's a really depressing commentary, isn't it? For Israel, God's people, it became ensnared. It's the very thing that Moses was warning them about before they even entered the promised land. They became ensnared, and they, they began to to ask questions that weren't helpful. That's why I had to kind of underline, make note of that word, inquire. They were curious about how the broader culture, those who weren't in Christ, the broader culture, pagan worshipers, they were curious about that culture. They wanted to know how they thought. They wanted to know how they behaved. They wanted to know how they lived. And, And curiosity on its own isn't bad. But this curiosity that the Israelites had, this curiosity had evil intentions attached to it. They had evil motives attached to the curiosity. The Israelites inquired so that they could satisfy lustful desires, lustful passions. This is what what James is talking about in James chapter 4, right? He says, you ask... And do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, spend it on your lustful desires. You adulterous people, he said, you're cheating on God. You're cheating on God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Saying you're in opposition to the God who created everything. That's the position you sit in, and it's a dangerous one. Some questions, some inquiries are not worth asking or investigating because they put us in a compromising position. They put us in a compromising position, a position that leads us away from the proper worship of Yahweh. And it leads us into bondage, into slavery. And the Israelites, they wanted to assimilate into pagan customs and into the pagan world. They wanted that. And, and we're fooling ourselves if we think that we're not prone to do the same thing. Right? There, there's within us, every single person in this room, myself included, there's within us this capacity and this desire to forsake the worship of the Lord and embrace customs and practices that aren't becoming of a child of God. There's within us that capacity. Adopting the the worldview 
and the customs and the practices of the broader culture, it, also, it often comes through curiosity, doesn't, doesn't it? Us inquiring. And again, curiosity isn't bad on its own, but curiosity about what the Lord forbids is dangerous. Curiosity about what the Lord forbids is dangerous. And so when the Lord says flee, why do we linger? Why do we linger? I'm going to press into this just a little bit more this morning. The, the Lord, he commanded the Israelites to tear down the altars and dash into pieces the Canaanites' place of worship, their places of worship, but they didn't. They were sinfully curious, and that type of curiosity led them to become ensnared. So believer, this morning, what's ensnared you? What's ensnared you? What are those places that you go to that draw out the idols that are in your heart? What are those things that you do or you don't do, the sins of commission and the sins of omission that, that you've adopted that is a worldview contrary to that of the Christian faith? Our hearts must be changed, and as Christians, we have a responsibility to put ourselves in positions to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, what I'm about to say isn't thus saith the Lord, but, but here are some things that are some implications from our text of tearing down altars. We can identify sins. We can clearly see that they're sins. And thus saith the Lord is to abandon those sins and trust Jesus. But the tearing down of idols may look different in the lives of all of us. And so I have some, some comments about that. And if you're struggling with pornography, with sexual sin this morning, as a believer, are you willing to tear down the idol of technology? Right, downgrade to a dumb phone. Right, get rid of your TV, cut off the internet, and, and use all that extra time to feast on Christ. All that extra time to feast on Christ. If, if you're an alcoholic this morning, are you willing to stay away from alcohol entirely? Right, don't even touch it. See it as a snare and utilize all that extra time that you have because you're not drinking to drink from the living water that's Christ. If you're a self-harmer this morning, are you willing to, to, to get rid of all those the objects that you use to harm yourself? And are you willing to go to somebody to get help? And are you willing to, to take advantage of your downtime and remember that you're created in the image of God and you share union with Christ. And if you're busy, you find the sins of omission, right? You're busy and you begin to believe the lie that you're busier than everybody else. I hear that sometimes, I'm just super busy. I'm like, you're not busier than everybody. You buy the lie that you're busier than everybody else and the first thing that goes is your, your time to commune with the Lord. Right? Feasting on the word of God, spending time in prayer to the Lord. That's the first thing that goes out the window. Will you neglect something else? Will you sacrifice sleep the way we see Jesus sacrifice sleep to commune with God the Father? You're not busier than Jesus. Just saying, not busier than Jesus, exhausting. He sacrificed sleep so that he could commune with the Father. 
We have to enjoy communion with the God who created 24 hours in a day, knowing that 24 hours in a day is sufficient for everything we need to do and everything we need to be. So believer, what worldviews have you adopted? What worldviews have you adopted? Who are you worshiping really? Now many of you may be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with corporate worship? It has everything to do with corporate worship. Your private worship or your lack of private worship to the Lord has a direct impact on corporate worship. If private worship is being neglected, your corporate worship cannot be what it's intended to be. It just can't. Three, believers can and often do worship the Lord in a way that dishonors him. Believers can and often do worship the Lord in a way that dishonors him. Now this moves, moves us past just worshiping false idols to we're not worshiping God properly. I started the sermon this morning with examples of how we dis- downplay or neglect process, how we don't think that means are, are very important. And, and I think this is a big focal point in our text this morning, how we worship. I said it earlier, how we worship is just as important as who we worship. Now, the God that we worship has prescribed for us the way to worship him. And I fear that we rarely give that any consideration. I don't give that any consideration. In verse 31, Moses says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, right? The way that pagans worship their false idols, God's people are not to worship God in that way. They're to worship God in the way that he's prescribed for them to worship. He goes on to say, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they've done for their gods. He gives an example. For they even burn their sons and daughters in fire to their gods. Unauthorized worship is abominable. It's the word that Moses is using here. It's the word the Old Testament uses. Unauthorized worship is abominable. And and he even gives us an example. It's just one example, but it's a quite a vivid example. They're killing their sons and their daughters to their idols. And if we begin to think that we're better than them or we think that we're too far removed from the ancient Near East culture and the way that they practice that stuff, we don't need to look any further than Planned Parenthood organizations like that and people that support that. They sacrifice children every single year to their God of autonomy. We're not different. We just use different tools. Unauthorized worship is abominable to God. And so this means that we should see how we worship the Lord as important. Should see how we worship the Lord as important. We're commanded to worship in a certain way. Commanded to worship in a certain way. And this is certainly the case, again, in our private worship. But this morning, I want to spend some time on our corporate worship. The Bible prescribes what the gathering of the saints, those who are in Christ, what that time should look like, what we're doing right here, right now, the Bible prescribes for us what that time should look like in the New Testament. And I want to kind of walk us through that this morning. First is this, Lord's Day. Lord's Day. The Ten Commandments, which are binding and enduring for every Christian, right? 
Jesus died because we're incapable of fulfilling the law, and we stand completely justified before God because of the the righteous works of Christ, not because of anything that we can do, but now as believers with the indwelling Holy Spirit, one of the things that's different about us is that we have a capacity to be obedient to God's moral law as he's revealed to us in the Ten Commandments. It's a bad understanding of the Scripture to come to any other conclusion than that. And a lot of times I meet Christians and we're, we're non-commandment people, right? Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Is the day, that's the commandment that we neglect in our culture. And we see that after the resurrection in the New Testament, believers practiced the Sabbath on Sunday, right? God instituted, even before the fall, before he even gave a list of the moral commandments, he, he introduced to us, by way of example, the Sabbath when he created. After the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, we celebrate that we're a new creation in Christ. And so we worship on Sundays. And that's what the New Testament believers practice. That's what believers all throughout church history have practiced Worship on the Lord's Day. It was understood and expected that the Lord's Day be devoted to the Lord. That's why it's called the Lord's Day. And it's good for us. It's not restricting, it's freeing. Those of us who who think it's restricting, we only think it's restricting because we're not presently enjoying it. We don't see the enslaving nature of seven identical days. And we, we don't see that working seven days leads to burnout. We don't see the impact seven identical days is having on our marriages. We don't see the impact that it's having on our relationship with our children. We don't see the impact that it's having on our own health. The Lord's Day is good for us. We're to work six days, that's it. One day in seven days on Sunday, we're to devote that day entirely to the Lord It's a command. It's not a suggestion. So at Coastal, we practice corporate worship on Sundays, the Lord's Day. And if you call yourself a Christian, and if you're able, if you're physically able, it's expected by God that you gather as his church and worship him corporately on Sunday. You can't do this through live streams. We just started dipping our toe in live streaming this actual service right now. And we do that really for two reasons. We do that because it's an efficient way to get a recording like that so that there's not so much time spent in um, editing. Our volunteers spend so much time editing. But the second reason we do it is because there are people who are physically incapable of coming. And we do that for them. But if you're able to, it's expected that you come and you gather as God's church. You can't, you can't do that as an individual. You don't worship the Lord as an individual. And the Lord's Day, you come to corporate worship. We gather as God's church to worship him together every Sunday here at Coastal. Secondly, worship is to be decently, corporate worship, and orderly. Decently and orderly. The Apostle Paul, he instructs the church at Corinth about their corporate worship. He says this, all things should be done decently and in order. This book of the Bible has always been interesting to me because it really deals with exactly what we're talking about this morning. Uh, The church at Corinth was adopting pagan practices in their corporate worship service. And, And this was so serious that Paul, 
spent his, this entire book rebuking them on it. And I'll put it this way so that we can understand it a bit better. If you were to go and you were to worship on the Lord's Day at Corinth Church, right, in their corporate worship service, they look more like the, like the world than a church service. It looked more like the world. It looked more like their culture than a church service. It wasn't that they didn't talk about Christ, because they did talk about Christ. It was the elements that they incorporated in their worship service and called it worship that was dishonoring to God. So how Corinth worshipped was abominable to the Lord. So the Lord inspired Paul to write a letter of rebuke to the church at Corinth. And it's persevered for 2,000 years. And we benefit from being able to read it and study it and apply it today. Third, reverence and awe, to worship the Lord in reverence and awe on the Lord's day. That, that's the, the heart posture. That's our heart posture by which we're to approach God in worship. Certainly, we're to approach the Lord like that in our private worship, but we're to approach the Lord like that in our corporate worship. The author of Hebrews instructs the, the, the Hebraic church. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, some translations say acceptable sacrifice, with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. Right? Our God is approachable in Christ Jesus, and praise God for that. But his approachability in Christ Jesus doesn't diminish the unchanging truth that our God's a consuming fire. God's unchanging. God's unchanging. So how do we help at Coastal? And again, the, there's other ways to do this, but at Coastal, how do we help you prepare to worship the Lord with reverence and with all on the Lord's day? Right? There, there's resources that we give out that, that, and we promote that, that helps you to anticipate our Sunday corporate worship service. And we post those on social media for you. We print those and offer them at the welcome desk. Right? We, we post videos explaining the music that we sing. We write blogs every single week based on the texts that are being preached on. You can find those on our website. You can find those posts on our social media page. This week, we're publishing a 30-day devotional that goes hand-in-hand hand with the direction of the pulpit ministry as we enter into a four-week series on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 is what we're going to spend the next four weeks in. And we do these types of things, and we call them approaching Sunday. Approaching Sunday. It's our way that we feel we can come alongside of you and help you to anticipate the Lord's Day corporate worship service. And if you're not anticipating the Lord's Day worship, there's no way for you to worship with reverence and with awe to the God, to our God, who's a consuming fire. Next, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Paul says to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 5, he says, addressing one another, and, and that's interesting to me. He doesn't say uh, he's not even saying you just sing with your eyes closed and you pretend like no one else is around you. <laughs> he says, addressing one another. We don't worship here in corporate worship on the Lord's Day as individuals. We worship as the body of Christ together. We're all a part of one another in Christ. 
And so as we're singing to God, we're addressing one another through melody, reminding one another of how great our God is and how he's provided for us Christ Jesus and all the benefits of the gospel that are are applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And at Coastal, we have a three-point criterion that we use to to determine whether or not a song is worth singing here. We ask ourselves, is it Christ-exalting? Is it gospel-centered, and is it congregationally friendly, which means, is it singable? Can we sing it? And by God's grace, we have the opportunity to worship the Lord through song, be reminded of Christ, and be reminded of His gospel, because the songs that we sing are deeply grounded in Scripture. We don't sing ambiguous music at Coastal. We sing clear, Bible-driven, singable worship songs. We don't don't allow you to check your brain at the door as you sing. We put you in a position to think about the lyrics so that God can be glorified and so that you can be edified and built up in Christ. So psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Fifth, devoted to the apostles' teaching. The physician, Luke, who documented for us the movement of the early church, he documented this about the early church. He said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, there aren't apostles today. The office of apostle, it ceased uh, when those that Jesus appointed to be apostles died. But your teaching pastors at Coastal strive to teach the same message that the apostles taught. That's, That's the aim. Our aim is that Christ is the centerpiece of all that we do and say. And because of that, you can devote yourself to the teaching. You can devote yourself to it. Now, there's, there's hard work that goes into hearing a sermon, right? Pastors work hard to craft a sermon and prepare to exhort that sermon to you on a Sunday morning, but you're not a passive listener, right? There's, there's really hard work for you to hear a sermon. Now, do, you, do you know the text that's being preached, we, we make that available to you so that you can be reading and studying the passage that's going to be preached on Sunday. So you can sit there well-versed in the, pastor, the, the text that the preacher is preaching on. So we want you to be a Berean of Scripture. We want you to be able to know and have confidence that what's being preached from the pulpit is true. So are you preparing by knowing the text and reading the text throughout the week as you anticipate the Lord's Day? We provide note-taking material so that you can, you can actively listen. And certainly on Sundays, we're not lecturing. Right, what I'm giving right now, it's not a lecture. What Pastor Sean, Pastor Andrew, Pastor David, what they do is not lecturing. This isn't a classroom. What we're doing is preaching. We're exhorting. You can't walk away and say, well, man, that was a real fine sermon, or the pastor really missed the mark on this one. All right exhorting what we're doing, preaching here, means that you can't just listen. You can't just hear. You have to be a doer of the Word. All right, we certainly hear that in the, in the Scripture, and, and I find it fascinating. It doesn't say, don't be a reader of the Word, be a doer of the Word. It says, don't just be a hearer of the Word, be a doer of the Word. There is an expectation that you're regularly hearing the Word of God. But hearing it isn't enough. You have to wrestle with it. You have to 
apply it so that you can be conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. So listening to a sermon, hearing a sermon, it's hard work if you're doing it right. Sixth, fellowship and prayer. Fellowship and prayer. The physician Luke, he goes on and says that the early church, not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The Greek word for fellowship, I'll read you some of the ingredients that make up that word for us. Here's the ingredients. Association, community, communion, joint participation, intimacy, contribution, sharing. That's much deeper than just being familiar with some people. Right? It's knowing people intimately. It's knowing people intimately and so much so that you participate in life and in worship with them, corporate worship with them. One of the things that we participate together in together is, is prayer. Right? If we're practicing fellowship the way the Bible intends us to practice fellowship, fellowship feeds our prayer life. It feeds our prayer life. As we pray corporately on the Lord's Day, our prayer should be God-centered, but we should be thinking about the needs of others. We should be praying for those needs. We should be praying for, for people to overcome their particular sins. So they, they can be built up in Christ. There's a couple of ways, a couple of vehicles that we have at Coastal to promote fellowship and prayer. Right? With prayer, one of the things we have is a, even a prayer ministry on the Lord's Day. Do you know right now people are praying for you? Right now. They're praying that the Holy Spirit will convict you so that you can apply the things that you're hearing preached. They're praying for you. Do you know when you submit your needs on the Connect card, we don't just put them in a file that's never open. Those go out to people that are actually praying for your needs. People are praying for you. One of the vehicles that we use again other churches use other vehicles but what the vehicle that we use to promote fellowship is small groups i think small groups feed into the corporate worship service on sunday but small groups you have this opportunity to wrestle with what's being preached on sunday the opportunity to know people you have an opportunity to be known you have an opportunity to wrestle with your sin in a gospel um, environment that's safe for you to wrestle with sin not safe for you to remain in sin. They're going to call you to repent of sin, but you're not going to be an outcast when you confess your sin. A place for your needs to be provided. Small group is the vehicle that we do that through that helps to feed in what corporate worship should be here at Coastal Community Church. So finally, we kind of shut down. I want to make an observation about where I believe that we should grow as Coastal Community Church, where we should grow. I'm going to give you where I think we should grow, and I'm going to give you two ways, and these certainly aren't the only ways, but these are two ways that I think could help promote the area I think we need to grow in. We need to grow in reverence and in awe. I include myself in that. I'm a part of this body. I do think this is a universal church problem, but I'm not preaching to the universal church. I'm preaching to Coastal Community Church. And I think we here at Coastal Community Church like reverence and awe in our worship. 
for looking at Christ consistently the way that we need to look at him and all the things that he's done for us in the gospel and all the benefits that we receive because Christ has accomplished our salvation for us and enables our sanctification. We, if we look at our life like a beam from a flashlight, right, and Christ in his gospel is at the center of that, the more we focus on that, the more we meditate on that, the more we have our minds renewed in that, there's two things that should happen. Our awareness of God's holiness should increase, and our awareness of our own sinfulness should increase. That's what happens as we focus on Christ more. It's not that God's holiness increases. It doesn't because he's unchanging, but our awareness of it increases. And I believe that type of perspective can feed an increase in reverence and awe in our corporate worship. And certainly we need more reverence and awe in our private worship as well, but I'm talking about corporate worship here on Sundays. So what are some ways? What are a couple of ways? First is watchfulness. I mentioned this at the beginning of the sermon this morning, watchfulness. Our watchfulness is the spiritual discipline to know the deceitfulness of your own heart. And Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, to the disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This isn't a warning just to the disciples that has no bearing on us. It's a warning to us. We need to watch and pray more as disciples of Jesus. We need to know that the, the, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And we should know the particulars. What are the particulars of your life that make your flesh weak? If you don't meditate on that, man, you're walking your spiritual journey blind. What are the particulars? What are your particular struggles? What, what temptations are you particularly drawn toward to indulge in? What are, what are your sins of commission and your sins of omission? What are the things you're doing that need to stop so that you can cherish Christ more? What are the things that you should be doing to help you cherish Christ more? John Owen, old Puritan pastor, he used to prescribe uh, watchfulness to, to the people that he sh- would shepherd, uh, and he gave a good uh, ratio that I think is helpful for us. For every one sin, and I think we need to contemplate our sin, for every one sin that we're contemplating, Sin of omission, sin of commission. Let's think of Christ 10 times. So a one to 10 ratio as we're seeking to be watchful, I think is a good balance for us. And the second thing I think is approaching Sunday, anticipating Sunday, excuse me. I think one of the reasons we lack reverence and awe in our corporate worship is because we don't anticipate Sundays. It's disconnected from the rest of the week for us. It's almost like it comes by surprise every single Sunday. Right. And sometimes that manifests itself in us being, and I'm not poo, like sometimes it's difficult, man, to get our kids through child check-in, and sometimes we're running late. But man, if you're finding yourself habitually late, and if you're thinking, man, I got to get out of here before the service ends because that parking lot is going to be slammed, um, man, our heart posture is not one of reverence and all toward the God who's a consuming fire. Right, that's, a outward, that's a small outward thing that's indicating that should alert us, man, danger, danger there about our heart posture. I know we've said that before, and then for a good week, a good couple of weeks, we'll all make sure we're trying to get here on time. And again, I know things come up sometimes, and for a few weeks, we'll all make sure we stay until the end of the service. And about week three, it all goes away again. We're prone to that stuff. Are we going to change in that? That's just one aspect for us. But are you anticipating Sunday? 
Right? What does your Saturday look like? Like, are you going to bed so late on Saturday that we wake up and we're so foggy-minded that we need 40 cups of coffee in order to get into a place where we can even begin to focus on what's going on here, right? Like, do we see the impact that even Saturdays have on Sunday for us? And again, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, go to bed early on Saturday, but I'm saying here's some things to maybe think through as we're anticipating Sunday so that we can worship God in a way that honors Him. And so how will you worship the Lord? How you worship demonstrates who you're worshiping. I want to close with the words of Joshua this morning. He told the Israelites this. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I confess to you my own sin of, of not worshiping you in a way that honors you, Lord, not anticipating corporate worship the way that you've called me to. And God, I, I repent of that. And Lord, I confess that that's, that's a sin in our, our church body, Lord. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would give us the strength to act in obedience and care about the quality and integrity of our worship. Knowing that Christ is such a great Savior and he's worthy of our devotion. So thank you for this time together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.